whenever I was 10 years old, I got a new Bible. Matter of fact, this is it right here. I know you guys may not be able to see it, but it has a, right now a faded drawing of Jesus feeding the 5,000, if you know that story from the Bible. So I got this whenever I was 10 years old, and I don't know if it was because I got a new Bible or maybe someone had preached a message about reading the Bible, but I decided, hey, I'm going to start reading more of the Bible. And so I remember getting up early one Sunday morning before church, and I decided I'm going to read the longest chapter in the Bible. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's Psalms 119. And so I opened up to Psalms 119, and I decided I was going to read it. There is 176 verses in Psalms 119. So I know as an adult, that's not a lot, but to a 10-year-old, it felt like an eternity, okay? And the print is really small in this Bible right here, and this Bible, you, you may not know this, it's King James Version, which simply means it uses kind of an older, more traditional English, so it's full of things like thee, thou, verily, behold, shout, all of those words that we don't really use a lot, and so I remember reading through Psalms 119, once again, I was on the couch, and it felt like it took forever, but I finally finished, and I was so proud of myself, you guys. So proud that I read that entire chapter. And now when I look back on that, I think, why did I read the Bible? And mainly it was because I wanted to be able to go to church that day and tell my friends, I just read the longest chapter in the Bible. And I wanted to be able to go to, to people and be like, hey, I'm reading the Bible more. Like, look what I just did. And I felt so accomplished as a 10-year-old. I want you to think about that this morning. Why do you read the Bible? And if you have your notes, there's a pen and paper there. You can write some stuff down. Or if you have your smartphone, take it out, write some notes. Or it's the first question on the NCC app this morning under sermon notes. There's a little place there. I want you to stop and think for a second. Why do you read the Bible? What would be the reason that you would open up the scripture and that you would read some of the stories that are in there, some of the teachings that are found in there? Maybe you're like me and you think, well, I think it's kind of important, so I should probably do it. Uh, maybe it's a new habit that you're wanting to develop in your life. It's something you want to do more of. Maybe you realize, yeah, that it changes you or develops you. Why do you read the Bible? You know, we're in this series called Persistent Practices. And we're starting this year, we're looking at some things that Christians have done for thousands of years. And Pastor Caleb did an amazing job last week talking about fasting. Can we give him another hand? It was a great message. And so we're looking at this when it comes to fasting, when it comes to reading the Bible. These are persistent practices in our lives. But here's what we want to remember. They're not rituals. And this isn't about rules. It's about relationship. So this isn't rituals or rules. It is about relationship. We don't fast. We don't read the Bible because if we do, God will love us more. Or if we don't, God will get mad at us. We don't do this just so we can kind of check something off of our spiritual to-do list. We do this because we want to connect in a relationship with Yahweh. That's our desire, that as we do these practices, things that Christians have done for thousands of years, that we would draw closer to who God is. We would understand more of who he is, and we would connect in a relationship with him. You know, I don't know what you wrote down for, hey, here's why I read the Bible. I know there's a lot of reasons why we don't read the Bible. You know, for some of us, it's the busyness of our schedule. 
Like, Pastor Aaron, I would love to read the Bible more, but when I get up in the morning, I'm getting the kids ready, or I'm already thinking about my to-dos for work that day, or there's school projects, there's after-school activities, there's errands, there's laundries, there's groceries, there's all of these things. And so if I could just find the time, I would love to read the Bible more. But I was looking at this, and you guys probably know some of these, but most of us, we spend two hours and 44 minutes every day on social media. Clicking, right, liking people's photos on Instagram, watching one more TikTok video, reading another political opinion on Facebook, right? Like, we, we just do that. We just keep scrolling two hours and 44 minutes. The average person, now this will vary depending on your age, and I won't make you identify yourself, but if you're closer to 50 or 60, stats tell us that you'll spend about five and a half hours watching TV every single day. If you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, you probably watch two and a half hours every single day. I mean, that's crazy to think about. You know, YouTube, there are one billion hours of YouTube watched every single day. Thankfully, that's not one person, okay? But the average person may spend like 15 to 30 minutes watching that. And I was talking to my kids about this, and they're like, Dad, you spent more time than that yesterday. And I'm like, yep, I'm a part of that statistic. And even if you think, I don't have any time, every person spends about 30 minutes in the bathroom every day. So if it's just putting a Bible in the bathroom, you have time, right, to open up and to read one verse or to engage with Scripture. Like, we do have time. It's, it's finding that time, like putting a priority on that time, carving out that time. So maybe that's the obstacle in your life is I just don't know where the time is. But I'm telling you, you do have time to engage with Scripture when it's important to you. Some of us may think, I don't know if I could understand the Bible. Like, Aaron, you get up every week and you make it seem kind of easy and you tell us about the background and the culture and the different people, but I don't know where to start or I don't know if I could understand the Bible. It just seems like this big book and where do I even get started or how do I know what people are saying? You know, we were hanging out as a family earlier this year and kind of all of us were together and my kids wanted to play this game, maybe you've heard of it, called Among Us, okay? It's a pretty popular game or it was at that time. And so in case you've never played the game, you're in this kind of virtual room, you're on your iPhone or whatever phone you have, and all of you have different tasks, but one person is the imposter, and they don't have tasks, they're just trying to take out and kill everyone else without getting caught. And all of a sudden, we're playing this game, and Gabe yells out, oh, Micah's being sus. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's being sus, and then he'll call it, you know, Jaren's being sus. And it took me a couple minutes, but I realized... I think he's saying that person's being suspicious. (laughs) And what I, I don't know why we're so busy that saying suspicious is too much, right? We've got so much going on in our life, so many things happening. We've had to abbreviate some of these words so that we can save that time, you guys. So we can scroll on Instagram, I guess, a little bit more, right? So, so vocabulary like changes. Like I looked it up. If you were hanging out um, a couple of hundred years ago, you may hear someone say, well, that's some ostentatious behavior being displayed by that young kid. And some of you are like, are you speaking English? Yes, I am. And then you go back just a few decades ago, and we wouldn't say it like that. You would say, oh, that person's showing off, right? They're showing off in front of the boss. They're showing off because they're really smart at school and they always get A's. They're showing off. And now my kids come home and they're like, man, everyone's always flexing on me. And I'm like, what? Yeah, dad, they're trying to flex on me. And I'm like, okay, 
See, because every year within the English language, there are 800 to 1,000 new vocabulary words added. Matter of fact, in the 20th century, 90,000 vocabulary words, new vocab words that were recognized in the English language were added to the English language. I'm telling you all of that to say this. The Bible does take some effort and it does take some energy, but you can understand it. You know how I know that? Because you're using words like flex and sus. You're growing in your vocabulary. You're growing in your understanding. And so I know sometimes that's the obstacle for us. Like, how do I know what they're saying or how do I know what's going on? It may take a little bit of effort, but we can understand what is going on in the scripture. That should not be an obstacle that keeps us from engaging with the word of God. For others of us, it's this. I don't know where my Bible is. Like every time I think about reading the Bible, I just don't know where I put it. And the crazy thing is the average American household has 4.4 Bibles in their house. Now, I don't know who's ripping up Bibles to get that .4, but the average household has 4.4 Bibles in your house. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think about. We are the generation and we're the time period that has the most accessibility to the Word of God than has ever been had in the entire history of mankind. The Bible has been translated hundreds if not thousands of times. I looked this week, there are over 300 languages in which the Bible or portions of the Bible has been translated into. I didn't even know there were 3,000 languages. If you would have asked me, I would maybe thought a couple of hundred, 3,000 languages that the Bible has been translated into. And even if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, if you have a smart device of any kind, there are so many apps. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous ones or popular ones, Version, just celebrated 500 million unique downloads with hundreds of translations. And that means that a lot of us, we're installing the Bible app because it's a new year and we've got a new year's resolution and we're going to start reading the Bible, but then it gets to July and we delete it off until next January comes around again. See, we have so much accessibility to the Bible, we're just not engaging with it. We're just not doing it. Studies would tell us that only one in six Americans will routinely open up the Bible and read it. And you guys, this is sad. We're not doing better as Christians than the average American. Only 25% of people will open up the Bible more than once a week. I want you to stop and think about that. Of people that say, I love Jesus, I'm a Christ follower, faith is an important part of my life, only 25% will open up the Bible more than once a week. The rest of us, we're kind of depending on Sunday morning. We're kind of chancing that this is our time to hear what it is that God wants to say, to listen to the scriptures and what it is that God wants to speak to us. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the Bible comes alive when you study it. That the scriptures, the Bible, what it is that God has given us is so important and it's so vital in our lives that we do need to take the time. We do need to study it and reflect on it and meditate it and understand it so that it comes alive in our life. We need to figure out the accessibility issue and whether it's on your smartphone or whether it's a Bible on your nightstand, you need to know where that is at so that you can open up the Word of God and read it because it is important in our life. If you're depending on Sunday morning, I'm telling you, it is not enough. It's not. I read this study this week that said this. If you meet someone new and you want to kind of become close friends with them, 
it takes somewhere between 40 to 60 hours of time spent together to engage with that person, to really kind of just get to know them, get comfortable around them. And then to be closer friends, well, that's about 80 to 100 hours. To be best friends where you know them and they know deep parts of your life, over 200 hours. Which means when you stop and think about it, we spend about an hour together here on Sunday morning. Maybe 30 minutes of that is spent around the Word of God. That means for you to just casually get to know the Bible, it's going to take you two years if Sunday morning is the only time you're opening up the Scripture. It's not enough, church. It's not enough to grow in your relationship with God. It's not enough to know what it is that God is saying. It's not enough to build you up spiritually. It's not enough. You need to study the Bible. I need to study the Bible in order for it to come alive inside of us and make the impact and make the difference that God wants it to inside of our life. And here's the reason why. Because the Bible is the active voice of Yahweh in my life. The Bible is the active voice of Yahweh in my life. Here's what I mean by that. So many of us, when we open up the Bible, we're thinking, okay, God, this is what you were saying thousands of years ago. It is not. This is an active voice of God in your life, which means it is not just story about people who lived thousands of years ago walking through a desert or about some blind people that met Jesus. This is God saying, hey, I have something to tell you right now, right where you live in January of 2022, there is something that I want to speak inside of your life. So we need to switch that mindset. This is not a passive voice of God. This is not me trying to figure out what God meant thousands of years ago. It's understanding, God, what is it that you're saying to me today? What is it that you're speaking in my life right now in this moment? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 talks about this. And it says this, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. What the writer there is saying in Hebrews is when you study the word of God, when you reflect the word of God, it is different than any other book that you read because not only do you read it, but it starts to read you. And when you're open to it, when you're praying, Holy Spirit, yes, there may be moments where this seems difficult to understand, but show me what you're saying. God, speak in my life that it's almost as if the book becomes alive and it starts to guide you and it starts to direct you. Maybe this is why we don't like reading it. The Hebrew writer said, hey, it's going to start to expose your thoughts and your attitudes. Hey, husband, why are you talking to your wives like that? Hey, parents, why are you treating your kids like that? Hey, students, why are you gossiping behind that person's back? Are you really loving your neighbor or are you hating them? Are you blessing those that curse you? See, it begins to get down to the deepest parts of our life and begins to judge even our thoughts and the motive and the intent of our heart. It is alive and active. And I want to tell you, there are moments where I'm reading, where I'm reflecting on Scripture, and then God will use that to bring it back to my attention, and I don't want to hear it. But it is an active voice where God is saying, hey, that's not how you reflect me. That's not how you demonstrate my love. 
That's not how you've been called to treat other people. See, that's what the scripture is. It will come alive sometimes at the most inopportune times, but it wants to direct you so that your life is reflecting Jesus. That's what happens when you study this, when you meditate on it, when you reflect on it. It begins to shape and deform your life. That's why we say here at NCC, and you hear us say this often, scripture shapes our lives that when we take the time to read this, your life will end up looking different. When you take the time to study and reflect on this, it will begin to change your thought process and your mentality and what it is that's going on in your mind. It is alive and active. This is the active voice of God in your life. He's wanting to speak to you. You guys, this is a gift from Yahweh. The Bible is a gift from Yahweh. God has given this to you as a gift. Let me just tell you a fail moment as a husband recently. So we were right at Christmas time this year, and we were on a phone call with my son Micah, and we were talking about kind of the holidays and some plans that we had, and my wife surprises me. Micah and Aaron, I got you guys tickets to the Green Bay Packers game. Now, I know if you're a Cowboys fan, you're kind of upset right now, but I am a giant Packers fan, okay? And it is on my bucket list to go to Lambeau. Every year we talk about this, we could go to Lambeau, we could see the Packers play, we could be in the frozen tundra, right? But we could get to cheer on our team. And so Sarah surprises me. And in that moment, I'm like, seriously? I started to panic. I know this is horrible as a husband, right? But I start to panic like, wait, when is it? Okay, we've already budgeted money for Christmas. It's on a Sunday. That means I'm going to have to get someone to speak at church. Like, my mind starts racing through all of this, and then I look over at Sarah, and I realize I have failed. Because she has spent days and weeks and phone calls and all of this energy and effort to make my dream come true, and all as I could think in that moment was everything that I would have to do to make all of that happen. And you guys, it was a little awkward in my house for a few days. And I had to go back to Sarah multiple times and say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You did so much to make that happen. And that was a special gift. And I just panicked in that moment of everything that it was going to require. You guys, that's how some of us are treating Scripture. It's a to-do list. It's a chore. It's something else I have to add to my day. When God in heaven is saying, I gave you a gift. I gave you a gift. And I put thought into this, and I put energy, and I put effort, and I put my words into this. I spoke through men and women all throughout history to give you a special gift. And so many of us, it's just another spiritual to-do list. This is a gift. In Psalms 119, it says this in verse 15, I meditate on your precepts, and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees, and I will not neglect your word. See, whenever I was 10 years old, I didn't even understand what Psalms 119 was about. And now as an adult, this has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because for 176 verses, this guy writes this poem, this song, this literature saying, God, you have given us a gift with your word. And I delight in it. Psalms 119, 103 says this, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What he's saying is every time I open up scripture, it's like eating the most delicious piece of cake or pie or candy or Texas barbecue. As much as I crave food, God, that's how much I want your word. It's like eating the best food I can imagine. And my heart just desires more and more and more of it. God, it's sweeter 
than honey to my lips. It's a gift. The psalmist in 119, he realized this. God, this is the gift that you've given us. It's not some religious obligation. It's not some religious ritual that I just have to do. Or God, you're going to be mad at me. He's saying, no, God, I delight every time I pick up your word. I delight in it because I'm getting to hear you speak in my life. I realize this is a gift to me. You guys, we read the Bible because the Bible changes us. The Bible changes us. Romans 10, 17 says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So church, when you find yourself in that moment and you're like, I'm stressed about this decision, I have a job transition, I have to decide maybe a house that you're buying or you're moving or buying a car, maybe you're overwhelmed by financial obligations or by a broken relationship, in Romans we're reminded your faith, your trust in God comes by hearing the word of God, by reading this, by reflecting on this, by meditating, by studying the scripture. It's in those moments that we're reminded of the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. We're seeing over and over how God showed up, came through, surprised people, and he's wanting to speak to us. I can do that again right now in your life, in this moment. It wasn't just thousands of years ago, but I see right where you're at and I know the need in your life. It changes us. The psalmist in 119, 10, or in verse 9 says this, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. So I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Psalms 119, 105, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. This guy's writing and he's saying, God, how do I reflect you? How do I be the person you've called me to be? The person that you've designed for me, the person that you're dreaming of? It's when I read your word. And God, I understand what you're dreaming. God, your purpose, your meaning for my life. I understand the new humanity that you've called us to be, God, and to reflect your love into the world around us. We see that as we reflect on scripture. You begin to read this and it changes you. And I would say this, either you read this and it changes you or you stop reading this and you stay the same. But you guys, when we open up our hearts, when we study this, when we reflect on it, it makes a difference inside of our lives. So maybe you're starting to realize, okay, this is important. Like I need this in my life. But maybe you're still thinking, how do I study? How do I reflect? How do I meditate on God's word? Because maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've read it sometimes or read a verse of the day, but to really reflect and to study the scripture, maybe that would be a new practice for you and something that God wants to introduce in your life. And so I want to just um, kind of take the rest of our time these next few moments, and I just want to practically give you how you do this. So in the seat in front of you, there's a piece of paper. If you're right here on the front, it's right underneath you. If you're worshiping with us online, I think we're going to put up a link right now that you can click on and you can see the PDF. It's just going to say how to study God's word. And this is an amazing tool um, to do this. So a lot of you guys know John Jones. He's on our worship team and um, he helps. So he helped compile this. And I said, John, we need to share this with everyone in the church because I love this as it comes to studying the word of God. It, it takes away the scariness and it just gives us some practical tools. 
we were talking last week, I was talking with John, and he said, Aaron, um, the three most important things, you can write this down, if you're reflecting on Scripture, if you're studying Scripture, these are the vital, most three important things. The first is this, context. The second is context, and the third is context, okay? So that should be easy to remember there. What context means is you don't just take a scripture out of context. Like, you don't just kind of put it by itself and put whatever you want it to mean. You look at what's happening around that scripture. How many times have you heard people quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I cannot bench press 500 pounds. It doesn't matter how much Jesus is in me, you guys. So I need to understand the context of what Paul is writing about. What is he saying? What's the idea that he's putting forth? It's not that you can do whatever you want to. No, it's what Christ can do in you as he's leading you and guiding you. Context is important. And one of the best things to discover in context is what you have in front of you. It's just asking those questions that you may remember from English class. Who, what, where, why, when, and how. And as you start to maybe read a section of scripture, you're reading a story about Jesus, you're reading a parable, you're reading about something in the Hebrew Bible about David killing Goliath or Noah in the ark, you just start to ask some of these questions as you're studying the Bible. Hey God, who's involved in this story? And have a pen and piece of paper out or have your smartphone and open up a note and just say, okay God, who are you talking about in this story? Who's this story about? Who are all the people that are involved in that? And maybe as you begin to ask that question, you're going to see other people that you hadn't thought of before within that story. I love this. Pastor Caleb and I have been doing this study. Um, it's kind of a master's level class on the Hebrew scripture. And this, um, the teacher constantly uses this idea, where's the hyperlink? He said, you read a story about a mountain and all of a sudden the hyperlink is, where else does the Bible talk about this mountain? And then you start to see every time they come to this mountain, there's a sacrifice. Every time they're offering something to God. So what does that mean about the story that I'm reading? What is it that the author, the um, writer is trying to tell me about offering something to God? Why is it always in Jerusalem? What's happening in the city of Jerusalem? What does it mean? What's it symbolic of? Where is this thing taking place? And as you start to ask those questions, you start to see other passages in the Bible. Oh, I remember that. I get that reference. I keep seeing this idea of a garden come up in a Bible, and it keeps kind of having the same symbolism. That's why this story is taking place there. And so as you start to ask these questions, you start to understand a little bit more. You're reflecting. You're allowing Yahweh to speak to you. You're allowing the scriptures to come alive and change you and shape you. You're realizing this is a gift from God. Some of these questions, and I want to encourage you to take this with you today, put it somewhere on your nightstand, somewhere where you do your devotions, in your Bible, if you have a physical copy of the Bible where you can read and reflect on this, and say, God, I want to study the Scriptures. Now, I want us to do something. We've been talking this morning, all of this, the reason why we do this, it's because of a relationship with God. We want a relationship with Yahweh. This is not, and I want you to hear me, church, and I'm sorry if you've ever heard something like this, this is not because if you don't read the Bible, God doesn't love you. Or if you don't read the Bible, God's going to get mad at you and you're not really a Christian. That's not what this is about. This is saying, I want to connect with God. 
I want to connect with Yahweh. I want to know what he's speaking. And so that's why we open the scriptures, because we want a relationship with him. Now I'm going to ask you to take a moment, maybe bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here, we're talking about the Bible, but maybe you would be honest and say, I don't know if I have a relationship with God. Maybe you've not been intentional about that. Maybe you feel disconnected from God or disconnected from the church. And you're saying, that's kind of where I'm at this morning. I want you to hear this. I want you to know this. God wants a relationship with you. He so deeply desires to be a part of your life. He wants to get to know you, and he wants you to get to know him. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. This is a very simple prayer that just says, God, I know that I can't do this on my own. I know that I've sinned, and I know that I've messed up, God, and I've not always done what you wanted me to. But this morning, I want that relationship with you. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with us. And I'm going to ask everyone that's both here in this room and if you're watching online, even if you're by yourself, I want you to say this out loud because we don't want anyone praying this alone. Let's pray this together. Jesus, I come to you this morning. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've messed up. And I need your forgiveness in my life. So I invite you in. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you just put your hands together and celebrate for anyone who prayed that prayer? And this is what I believe. If you've been disconnected from God, but you prayed that and you meant that in your heart, I believe that God's spirit, he comes and he dwells inside of us. And the Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing because of that prayer that you prayed this morning. I believe that God is giving you a brand new start. There's one more thing that I want us to do before we head out this morning. I want us to practice this together. Because you may be here and you may think, ah, this is going to be kind of hard this week, so we're just going to do it one time together this morning, okay? So I want you to take that piece of paper, or if you're online, it's right there in the sermon notes, you can follow along with us, and... We're just going to take about 90 seconds and we're going to do this together. You see those questions there. And this is the scripture that we're going to do. So I'm going to read this. Okay, so this is what Mark chapter 3 verses 1 and 6 says. And we'll leave this up. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we're going to take about 90 seconds, and I'm going to ask you to just write down maybe some things that you're seeing from those questions that you have there. You may have read something, and you're like, I don't even know what that means. So write that down. What does this mean, okay? So this may lead to other questions. We're going to take about 90 seconds. I'm going to stop talking. I want you to just answer some of those questions right there on the front of that page that you have there. Um, who, what, where, when, why, how, okay? Let's do that together.
Okay, let me take a second and just share. Maybe you had some of these similar ones. Maybe you had different ones, but this may help you. Is I just asked the question, who are the Herodians? I, I don't know, and I've studied the Bible for a while. I kind of have an idea, but that's important. There's some reason the writer put that in there. Who are the Herodians that the Pharisees are kind of conspiring with to kill? You could read this and say, hey, what is the Pharisees deal with the Sabbath? Like, why are they getting so frustrated and upset? Like, why is it such a big deal that Jesus would heal someone on the Sabbath? When I asked that question, how, I just thought, how did that guy feel that needed to be healed? Like, I just started thinking through what emotions was he experiencing? Like, what was he feeling? And I had this thought, he probably didn't want another day of limitations. And Jesus wasn't going to make him wait one more day. And so do you understand, like, as we just begin to ask these questions, you may have had different ones that kind of lead you, but as we stop, as we reflect, as we think about this, as you utilize those questions, it's going to help you to listen to what it is that Yahweh is saying, what he wants to speak to you, why is it happening this way? And so just asking some of those questions, it can be a tremendous help. You don't have to do years of Bible school. You don't have to own a lot of commentaries or all of these things. Some of those resources are helpful at times, but sometimes it's just asking the right questions and observing what is going on in the story, what's happening before and after that story to understand, God, what is it that you're wanting to say to me right now? So church, I want to encourage you. We want to be people that engage with scripture. And my prayer is that you would take this sheet of paper with you and you would allow it to be a persistent practice that God would speak to you and you would develop a love for the Word of God. Let's make this a persistent practice in our life this week.